Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Stephanie Wilson, and you're listening to Freedom Over Fascism. It's important to find the room that you can do the most good in. And maybe that room is a legislative meeting, but maybe it's the boardroom. Maybe it's an appearance reading group. And I think that just identifying those rooms is the biggest thing that anybody can do. Hi, friends. As I'm recording this, it's February 27th, and I've just returned from an amazing multi-generational vacation refreshed and ready to dive back into the fight for freedom. All of us need time to refresh ourselves in this never-ending fight. And if you need some time away, please take it so that you can return stronger and more energized as well. I returned and learned that yesterday, the Arizona legislature defeated a measure to put anti-trans questions on the ballot in November. I also came back to the news of the killing of next Benedict, a trans teen in Oklahoma. Though details are still emerging, Nex was beaten in a bathroom and died the next day after months of persistent bullying. Today, I'm talking to Aaron Reed, who writes a newsletter called Aaron in the Morning about anti-trans laws across this country and about events like Nex's murder. As in many of my conversations, we talked about the importance of acting locally or in whatever room you can make the most difference, whether it's running for school board, changing policies where you work, or educating people you know in real life about books and shows featuring trans people. Aaron is the fiancé of Zoe Zephyr, whom we talked to a couple weeks ago. They're a power couple for sure in the fight for trans rights and freedoms. Aaron and I discussed the importance of local action, running candidates for state and local office, which can generate votes up ballot to change the entire balance of power in a state. I recommend following her work if you don't already. She's at erinandthemorning.com, on Substack, and at all major social media platforms. I ask you as well to spread the word about this podcast to other people you know who are interested in finding the truth, learning how to frame it so people can hear it, finding ways of reaching people, and meeting candidates and officials who are on the front lines of fighting for freedom in this country. Please support us on Patreon or Substack. And find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts and at freedomoverfascism.us. Erin Reed, welcome to Freedom Over Fascism. Hi, thank you so much for having me. 
I'm so glad you're here. I've been thinking about your work for a really long time. Last week, the last week has been really heartbreaking. Although there's new heartbreak every day, that's shocking, but not surprising. And last week I was on vacation, a much needed multi-generational vacation in the middle of nowhere, which was amazing. And if anybody has the opportunity to take a few days to reset, I highly recommend it. But I came back to this tsunami of news. In your introduction, I talked a little bit about what you do, but would you mind taking a moment to introducing yourself to our listeners? Who are you? What do you do? What do you believe your impact is on laws affecting trans people in the United States today? Of course. So I am a transgender journalist. I cover all of the legislation, the cultural issues, the biggest news on the topic of LGBTQ rights with a special focus on transgender rights across the United States and across the world increasingly. I write for my subscription newsletter, Aaron in the Morning, as well as report on platforms like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. I try to make sure that everybody has the information about what's going on wherever they are, and I try to meet people wherever they are. And as we know, we've been watching bills move across the United States for the better part of the last four years. And I try to make them digestible so that people understand the impact of those bills. I think people like you and independent journalism these days is so important. I'd love to talk to you more about that because the mainstream media is, is not doing its job. But... First, I want to talk about last week and the murder of Nex Benedict, a high schooler who was murdered by their peers in Oklahoma high school after months or years of bullying. Can you tell us anything? Our listeners are high information people. Anything that's going on that's new? I know that some of what Judd Legem reported has moved things along as he has in other investigations, but do you mind updating us on what's going on and anything new? Absolutely. So you got the very basics of what, what happened. You know, we saw next Benedict, a trans teen in Oklahoma, um, was allegedly being bullied, had a confrontation in a bathroom where they alleged that, that they were teased for their clothing that they wear. And I'm also going to before we continue, I'm going to actually switch pronouns to he, him, so just because we did learn one of the new pieces of aberration we learned yesterday from Joe Yurkaba's reporting was that he used he, him pronouns, and that was those were the ones that he preferred the most. Although we do know that in varying social situations, he used other pronouns as well. Uh, one of the, I think, greatest tragedies of this is that his life was taken before he was able to truly completely come out to everybody. And so the loss of a young person's uh, life in the middle of their identity development is just an extra sad part of what happened. Uh, but in the bathroom, uh, it appears that he was attacked by three people, had uh, a concussion or some sort of a head injury, went to the hospital and eventually passed the next day. And there's been a lot of information that's come out since then. You know, we know that, for instance, the police officers stated that the autopsy report showed that his death had nothing to do with, with trauma. That was later sort of backtracked whenever Judd 
reported and asked them about about the case. And it sounds like they had released that statement just to get national attention off of the case and that they were still investigating next Benedict's killers. And so that's about all the information we had vigils all weekend. We, we saw vigils in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Washington, D.C., Minneapolis, and dozens of other places. We also know that in Oklahoma, Superintendent Ryan Walters, basically this, the, the person in charge of education in Oklahoma, has repeatedly spread fear about transgender people in bathrooms, stating that trans people in bathrooms are an assault on truth. He hired lives of TikTok, Chaya Raichis, lives a TikTok creator. They, assumedly, he, he stated that the reason why he was hiring her was to make schools safer. And of course, that account has been associated with bomb threats that often come after she posts targeting various individuals. One of the individuals we also learned that she targeted very early on in the Lindsay TikTok account was a teacher of Nat's, was one of Nex's former teachers and a great mentor of theirs. And so I think that, you know, this is a tragedy all around. And we've got a young trans person's life who is no longer with us. And the situation is still developing in Oklahoma. Can you, so with the superintendent, bringing on lives of TikTok, it seems like there's a couple of different streams. There's the laws that states and municipalities and school districts are passing against trans youth and more often this year, trans adults. But then there's the fear and the permission structure they seem to create for violence. Do you think that has made a difference in the communities where they are active? Or do you think just the change of laws is what has precipitated violence like this? I think that it's intricately connected. And I think that it's sort of a two-pronged attack on trans people. You have sort of this extrajudicial violence that's going on against trans people by people, by organizations that Proud Boys and all of your other sort of proto-fascist orgs that are out there that target trans people wherever they are, that send threats that, you know, do this, this harm. And then you have, you know, legislative and legal violence done towards trans people. And it, it may sound like these things are sort of not connected, but they, they're intricately connected. And in fact, whenever we talk about people like Chaya Raichik and Libs of TikTok, we know that the legislators in Oklahoma are citing Libs of TikTok and citing Chaya Raichik for the passing of the laws. Those same Chaya and Libs of TikTok and all of your anti-trans far-right influencers also are directly followed and inspiring the people who are doing harm. And in fact, we learned from one of the news stories that some interviews with trans and queer students in the school state that they are routinely bullied by people who watch libs of TikTok and Chaya Raichik. And so this is all interconnected. It's all very closely linked to each other. And, you know, this fear campaign, it, it touches everywhere. It doesn't just sit in the legislature. It doesn't just sit in the in meeting groups of the Proud Boys and all of the other sort of far-right organizations. It also lives in our schools. It sort of permeates the medical systems and some of these more right-leaning places. And it 
very much impacts trans people's lives on a daily basis. Do you think that there's anything that we as activists and not uh, electeds can do to help not just defeat laws in MAGA-controlled legislatures, but also in the popular culture or online, are we making any progress? How how do you see that? You're a major influencer. When I told people I was going to interview you, I, I had a lot of people fan fangirling and boying over <laughs> me talking to you. But what do you think the best ways of fighting against this fear I think of mongering that, would be? Yeah, so like education is always important. And I think that for a long time we've recognized that education is one of the ways in which you can combat extremism. It's one of the ways that you can combat hate and bigotry. And we've got examples of this in the past. We know that the more people learned about lesbian, gay, bisexual people, the more acceptance in this way we were able to get marriage equality over time. And I think that there's a lag time whenever it comes to trans people. I think that a lot of people have not necessarily had as much time to learn about trans people. And we have started coming out more recently in, in, in greater numbers. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, even while gay people were openly gay and coming out, trans people were very heavily still stigmatized. And so I think that like the very first thing to do before anything else is just learn, get educated, you know, read information, follow trans journalists, read trans authors, and not just on theory and on activism, but also, you know, in other non-related contexts, there are incredible trans musicians out there. There are people who are writing works of fiction. There are people who are creating video games. There are people who are doing art who are trans and queer. And a big part of how we move the needle forward is by including those people in your in your consumption of media, because all of us, even trans people included, have to sort of deprogram from the years of hate and abuse we got in the popular media. There's a really good uh, documentary out there that I would highly suggest called Disclosure. And it's all about how the media history of representation of trans people has played such a huge role in sort of the negative perceptions that still persist and permeate even among sometimes left-leaning groups. And so, you know, you have to sort of realize everything's gone into that. Now, now, once you have education, then you can start looking at the other ways you can contribute. Maybe you have local trans organizations or queer organizations in your community that you can help either with volunteering or with donations or just with spreading the word and being on their mailing list. Maybe it means showing up to the legislatures. Maybe it means making a change in your professional society or company. There are still a lot of companies that don't offer good, inclusive healthcare benefits. And so I think that I'm going to borrow something from my fam and say that it's important to find the room that you can do the most good in. And maybe that room is a legislative meeting, but maybe it's the boardroom. Maybe it's in a parent's reading group. And I think that just identifying those rooms is the biggest thing that anybody can do. Wow, that is that's a really nice way to say that as we try to figure out where we can make an impact 
I live in Massachusetts and, you know, you talk about our laws being good and they're good. And I have a teenager who is cis, but has many genderqueer friends. I venture to say a majority of his friends are genderqueer. And still there's work to do here. It's not all good. And I think that, as you were saying, people take some time to to understand what it is to be trans or genderqueer or non-binary. And I think our brains also take time to catch up. Like a lot of people my age, which is older than you, have trouble and our children correct us very quickly with they, them. The binary, trans, male to female, female to male, easy, right? You are she. I am she, you are she. That That's easy. The, the gender queerness is something that's harder to wrap brains around. But I also think that even in places like this, where there are a lot of kids and adults coming out, there are a lot of places where we can contribute knowledge or even if it's, you know, recommending a TV show that has trans characters and hopefully trans actors playing those trans characters. So shifting a little bit from how can people make the most difference, you, one of your latest risk assessments on your newsletter, Aaron in the Morning, you talk about how the anti-trans laws are moving from targeting kids to targeting adults. And the more than 400 bills this year alone, and it's only February 27th when we're recording this, that MAGA is trying to pass. Can you talk a little bit more about what is the state of being? Like, where are the states where people are mostly safe, super safe, very endangered, Mostly, you know, can you talk about the different gradations and, and how you come to these assessments? Yeah, absolutely. So you're referring to my anti-trans legislative risk assessment map. This is something that I have produced for a good two years now. And, you know, two years ago, whenever I first worked on this map, it was only targeting or it was only focused on the risk for transgender youth. And that isn't because I was ignoring adults. It's because those were the only kinds of bills that we saw. We saw bills that were targeting trans youth only. That has changed. You know, we have seen more and more bills that have expanded their focus to target adults. And also for trans youth, a lot of the worst bills have already passed. They've already done almost everything they can do to make the lives of trans youth harder, to ban medical care, to ban them from bathrooms, ban them from sports and more. And so... You know, whenever it comes to looking at risk, there's a few things that I keep in mind. Number one is what laws are already on the books and which ones are being advanced. And, you know, it, for, for adults, that might look like bans that target pride, that ban pride, basically. A lot of times they're sold as bans on drag, but they're actually, whenever you read the bills, they say that it applies to anybody wearing makeup or clothing that signifies a gender that is not of your assigned sex at birth and performs. And so that, that basically targets trans people who are, you know, dancing or who are wearing elaborate costumes that are walking down pride marches, which you see at prides very often. I'll also note that, you know, these 
drag bands, as they're called. The very first person that a drag ban was used against was not somebody doing drag. It was a trans person in a library in, in Montana who was a trans public speaker speaking about transgender history. And so, you know, these, these bills, they target trans adults in a myriad of ways. They would prevent, for instance, Kim Petras from singing in that state, Kim Petras being a Grammy award-winning transgender musician. And so we see this with, with adult restrictions on pride. We also see this with medical bans. Florida has been a big state for targeting adults. They also have a bill or they have a law now that could put trans people in jail for a year for using the bathroom, the same bathroom I've been using for five years. I cannot travel through Florida safely. Florida is currently also looking at revoking trans driver's licenses if they have incorrect gender markers and stating that any trans person misrepresenting their gender identity uh, or their gender at birth is potentially guilty of fraud, criminal fraud. And so, you know, we are seeing an escalation in targeting transgender people. Medical care, we see bans in medical care in Florida for many trans adults as well. We've seen this advanced in places like Ohio, Missouri, and even this morning, I'm reading a bill in Kansas that would do similar. And so this is how I kind of look at things like which laws I'm looking at whenever I'm developing the risk map for adults. Uh, I also speak to activists in every state. I've got con a contact list of three to five people in every state that I can always just message if there's something that comes up in that state. And I want to get a better understanding of, hey, what do you see the picture on the ground as right now? Are you seeing this being a priority this year? I go through all the states and I essentially... I've got a, I've got sort of a, a rubric that I use, a scoring rubric that I say, you know, is this kind of bill being proposed? How far did it get? What do the activists say? And then I strat stratify the risk. I say that, you know, there are some states where it's, a, it's so bad that it's hard to travel in. There are some states where it's really bad and likely going to get worse. There are some states where things are actually really okay right now. And even states where they are going the extra mile in protecting their tra the trans people that live there. For trans youth, you know, it's very similar. Instead of looking at some of the things that I mentioned, I also add in things like medical care bans for youth, which are present in like 21 states right now. So in these states that are, you know, at higher risk or in the middle of all sorts of trans bans, this is a broad, broad, broad question. But how are people, trans people, parents of trans kids, how are people dealing? How, you know, I know some are moving and some are fighting, but like, how how do they do their daily life with so much of a target on them? You know, it's it's each person is sort of right now sort of fighting their own fight. And that looks different for each person. Some people, I know many people have fled their home state. In fact, recent surveys show that 130 to 260,000 people who are trans have already left their home state. Um, many of them coming from Florida, Alabama, Texas. I see those very often in people who are fleeing. They're showing up in your local communities. I know here in Maryland, where I live, I'm part of a local parents group, and I regularly see posts on Facebook of like, hey, I just got here from Texas, got a non-binary kid or a trans kid. Is it safe? And so, you know, that's happening. We also see people who are stuck in their home states who are forced off their medication or who have to travel up to a thousand miles to get to the nearest clinic every month or every few months. And it sounds extremely difficult and it is. 
there are people that don't have the resources to do that. There are people that are pulled off medication right now that are being forced to medically detransition. There are transgender girls who are being forced to grow facial hair right now. Like that's happening in front of their peers. They've probably identified as trans for years. And yet this is what's what they're dealing with. Some people are, uh, you know, some trans youth are young enough to where they're, they're, this is not a concern yet. For instance, you know, if you're eight, nine, 10 years old and you're gender non-conforming, non-binary, trans, anything like that, those kids have not gone through puberty yet. And so they're sort of crossing their fingers and hoping that they get a court decision. There are people being investigated for child abuse. You know, this is still happening in some places. And so it's, it's going to be a different situation wherever you're at. I know some trans people are staying and fighting. And that's important to recognize as well, is that this is, this is their home. Many people are not going to just give up and leave. And so it's every, every person is fighting their own fight right now. It's one of my biggest problems with how we do things in America is individuals are ex expected to solve systemic problems. And it, it doesn't work that way. Are there places where people are successfully fighting against some of these anti-trans laws or at least communities within the states that are badly off, that are safer for trans kids and adults? Yes, the both. There are still victories that are, that are, that are happening. We, for instance, something that I'm going to be writing on today is the fact that SCR 1013 in Arizona was beaten by a single vote. And this actually is a huge victory for trans people in Arizona because in Arizona, there is a Democratic governor who's been vetoing all of the anti-trans legislation. However, Arizona Republicans realized that they could vote for a bill that puts it directly on the ballot that would bypass a governor's veto. That failed by a single vote just last night. And so, you know, that was that was huge. There were a lot of people that came out. That that bill was specifically why I upped the risk in Arizona, because that bill could potentially have gone into, into effect. Thankfully, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And Arizona will actually reduce in risk because of that for trans youth. It's a huge victory there. We see even in places where things are difficult, like in Missouri, we just saw, I believe it was Kansas City passed a ordinance that declares Kansas City a refugee slash sanctuary city for trans people in Missouri, stating that Kansas City will not enforce anti-trans laws if they, if, they, if they can get around it. And of course, in Virginia, where Governor Glenn Youngkin has demanded that every school conform to a new set of executive branch policies that ban trans people from sports, that ban uh, trans youth from bathrooms, that uh, forcibly out trans youth to their parents. And it does a dozen more things targeting them. This was a major issue given that thousands, tens of thousands of kids walked out of their high schools in Virginia in protest of these, uh, these laws. And instead, we saw in Virginia that a good number of school districts basically just said no. They said, we're not going to adopt it. You can try to make us, but we're not going to do it. And that's where we stand right now. So there are stories of resistance happening everywhere, even where my fiance is from in Montana. She's the first trans legislator in Montana. Montana has been tremendously targeting trans people in that state. And yet we saw one of the best stories of resistance last year in that state where, you know, she demanded her right to be heard after being silenced in the legislature. And as a result, the world knew about what was going on and the cruelty that was going on 
there in the state. And so yeah, resistance is still happening. It will always happen. And the people there that want to continue fighting or have that ability and the, that willpower to do so are going to hold up the tradition that the LGBTQ community has had for generations now. So I often think about and talk about your fiance Zoe Zephyr as an example of how you can demand to be heard. And as activists and candidates and officials, how we need to find a way to demand to be heard. And I'm glad to hear that some places are refusing to implement some of these horrible laws. So what I also wanted to say is with one vote difference in the Arizona legislature, that means that the more people who run in down-ballot races where their seat was previously uncontested by a Democrat, or the more people that you get out to vote in rural areas or urban that haven't voted in the past, that right there is the difference. And we had last week on two women who have this rural organizing initiative in Arizona where they have registered thousands of people to vote and have been responsible for several of those legislative seats that Democrats have taken, that work is incredibly important as it filters up, right? You know, some of those races were decided by one, two, 10, 15 votes, and this measure was defeated by one vote. So I want to remind people that activism isn't just picking a topic. It's also working on ways to engage and mobilize more voters at every single level. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think that voting at every single level is really important. And I really want to emphasize, emphasize at every level, we need to go down to the local level. And in fact, you know, I think a lot of energy is spent, you know, on the left with, with the presidential election. And while that is an important election for sure, it's also important to note that Republicans uh, have realized and anti-trans people have realized the impact that can be made in your school board races, the impact that can be made in your city council races, in your state legislatures. And that's where all of these bills are happening. And a lot of times, whenever you can make the impacts at those local levels, they filter up, they start to grow. Up. That's where we get the idea of grassroots from. And so thankfully, looking at 2022 and 2023, we, I have seen and reported on an increased participation in local elections over this topic. And just recently, in the big 2023 school board elections across the United States, we saw 70% of Moms for Liberty candidates lose their races. And specifically, they were running primarily on anti-trans issues. That was their big, that was their big topic. Um, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, in Loudoun County, Virginia, we're talking about bellwether counties for the entire nation. Whenever you watch on 2024's election night, you're going to hear them talk about Bucks County. You're going to hear them talk about Loudoun County in Virginia. These are the swing counties that determine presidential elections. And, you know, 
the anti-trans forces lost heavily there. The new school board members swore in on banned books. And in fact, we just saw it in Bucks County. Democrats, you know, won almost all the seats. There were two seats they did not win there that, are, that were still held by Moms for Liberty members. Those two, they resigned. They, they have just, just a couple of weeks ago, they, they resigned their post. And that shows that like, this was never about, you know, making schools better or like working for the kids. They literally had one topic that they wanted to focus on. They wanted to target trans people. And the second that they lost their power to do so, they wanted nothing to do with kids anymore. Right. It's, it's all about that. And so I think local participation is important. And also, if you are a person who cares about this issue, like you can win in these elections. You can go and win at a school board race. It's it might sound unfathomable to you, but like we're not talking about tens of thousands of voters here in many cases. We're talking about getting in there and doing work and making change where you can. Exactly. A friend of mine called me up just a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm running for school board. Can you help me? And, you know, it's not somebody who'd ever gotten involved in politics really at all. And things were not going well in their school district. And she decided to jump in and, and run. And I think the more people who feel empowered to do that, the more places there are to train them, the more of a permission structure to say anybody can run for office. You don't have to have some special magical protein in your lungs. I don't know. But that we are all capable of of doing action in our localities that can have ripples across the country is really important. And even if it doesn't ripple across the country, if it ripples across your town and, you know, one kid gets treated better or many kids get treated better or, or more books are on the shelves or, or people understand that moms for Hitler are really there to control. I don't, I don't let them have their, the name. They don't deserve to be called Liberty. That it's all about controlling other people. And as we see now, it, and it's all interconnected, right? So this whole, we've got anti-trans, anti-abortion, and now we're targeting embryos, fertilized embryos and IVF. And it's so easy to see how it's really about controlling people. And having yeah. actually and, that and, looks and, like them. Yeah. And unless your listeners think the Moms for Hitler comparison is weird, they literally had a Hitler quote on one of their uh, pamphlets that they passed out and then had to pull a big mea culpa. So it's a very apt comparison. But I think I think that you're entirely correct. And I think that we do have the ability to make an impact. And I want to make that clear. Like we can change things. We can do things that will make this world better. And going back to kind of like what we said at the very beginning, it's that finding that room, finding what room you belong in. And for some people, for that person that you spoke about, like in the going for a school board race, maybe that's the room where they can do good in. And I think that if we continue to do that, if we continue to look for those spaces and work to get in those spaces, we know, I think intuitively where our voices can make the most difference. It's just a matter of jumping and doing it. It seems scary whenever you're looking out, you're thinking, oh, can I do it? Like, but, but the people that are in these positions, the people that are in these state legislatures that are in these school boards that are, or, or 
the teachers or the people that are in the boardrooms, you know, they often have to make that same decision. And I think everybody can find their own space where they can make I think that is a really important idea and a great place to end. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know? And if you want to let them know how they can find you, please do. Yeah, of course. Nothing in addition to this. This was very thorough, but I will say that if anybody wants to read my work, it's erinintheMorning.com or on virtually any of the major social media platforms. You can follow me at erinintheMorn or at erinintheMorning, depending on the platform. Other than that, though, thank you so much. And, you know, we're going to keep, I'm going to keep reporting on this and I'm going to make sure that I keep everybody informed as things develop. Well, you're one of my biggest go-tos for understanding what's going on all across the country. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Freedom Over Fascism. And thank you to our editor, Benji Wilson. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash freedom over fascism. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please drop us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We thank you for choosing freedom over fascism.